You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. Today's teaching is lesson number five from Gentle and Lowly, covering chapters 10 through 12. Good evening, ladies. It's great to see you all again. Can you believe we're like halfway through already? It's crazy how fast time goes. Um, So we're going to get into tonight's chapters, but first we're going to take a trip down memory lane and make you think back a little bit. So think back to when you first decided um, to give your life to Christ. For some of you, it might be 20 plus years ago. Um, Maybe it was only a few years ago for others or even more recently than that. But regardless of when it was, I want you to think about what it was that convinced you to give up up your selfish desires um, and choose to bow to the Lordship of Christ. What was it that you attract, that attracted you to him? Was it convincing arguments that a friend laid out? Or was it a sense of deep fear of punishment that drew you to God? I think for most of us, it was more likely the sweet love of Jesus that drew us to him. It was most likely his gentleness and his compassion, the beauty of his lowliness and accessibility that caused us to make the jump to repent and submit. I know it was that for me. So Christ is enchanting. The beauty of his love is what draws us in and keeps us close. And you read about that love um, and that loveliness this week. And we're gonna look a little bit closer at a few aspects of Jesus' character that make him absolutely irresistible to sinners like us. But first, let's pray. Lord, you are beautiful. Please open up our hearts to see that beauty clearly tonight. Jesus, I pray that you would draw these women to you with your absolute loveliness. Give me the words to explain who you are with clarity and truth. In your name we pray, amen. So I wanna share a little bit of my own story with you tonight because it fits well with what we read about this week, about the beauty of Christ's heart. Several years ago, I was a very different person than I am now. A Christian in name only, and I went to church just to keep up appearances. As Paul puts it, I was living in the passions of my flesh and carrying out the desires of my body and mind. I was far from God, either giving into sin willingly or when I was convicted, attempting to beat that sin in my life with my own strength and failing miserably. I was begging the Lord for help, but refused to cut out the root of my sin and was therefore caught in a never-ending cycle of repentance and then abstinence and then finally failure as I gave in again to the temptation. So as I went through seasons of attempting to conquer the temptations in my life, I always had a visual in my head of what that was like, of a dark and stormy cliff face. Overcoming my sin was like inching slowly up that cliff while the storm raged, but I felt that if I could just get to the top, I would be in a much better place, safe from the edge of the cliff. But time after time, I lost my grip. I gave into temptation and I would slide down to the bottom having to start all over again. This process was miserable. It was dark, it was lonely and exhausting. And in my head, it looked like this. Fast forward a few years and the Lord in his mercy exposed my sin to others and it was through that painful but cathartic process that I was finally able to be truly free of the sin that had chained me for so long and I was able to find forgiveness in Christ. As I went through those months of healing from all of the wounds that I caused myself and others, I kept getting another visual in my head. One of a meadow with a stream full of light. Everything there was still and at peace. And there with me was the Lord telling me that this was what he had planned for me all along. Rest, 
It was beautiful, captivating. It was pure light and better than anything I could have imagined on that cliff. I told myself I wasn't gonna cry. I almost made it, guys. (laughs) When I was stuck on that miserable cliff, I couldn't even picture something like this. But afterwards, I was there with the Lord, and it looked like this. This meadow, ladies, is a visual representation of the heart of Christ, and it's beautiful. Look at these two images up on the screen. I mean, which would you rather be in? It's not a hard choice, right? What is it about the Lord that makes his heart so beautiful? There's so many things, but we're gonna talk about two of them tonight. His emotions and the sweet friendship that he offers us. And as you listen tonight, I want you to keep the visual of this meadow or your own image um, that you came up with, either you either drew or found from your homework. Keep that image in your head and let yourself be enchanted by the beauty of the heart of Christ. So in chapter 11, Orlin walks us through a lot of really important theological points about Christ. He cites Christ's eternal humanity, which isn't a topic I'm gonna explore here tonight, but I highly recommend you do your own research on that because the implications are massive and it's a fascinating topic. Orlin also extensively discusses Christ's emotions and how they add to the beauty of Christ. I wonder if this idea was something new for you. So how many of you tend to think that emotions are bad? As women, we are often accused of being too emotional of letting our emotions rule our actions. And both of these are rarely said as positive things. But as Ortlin points out, our emotions are tainted by the fall, but they are not a product of the fall. Our emotions are tainted by sin, but they're not sin in and of themselves. And we need to understand that to be able to really understand Christ and his emotions. So let's take a minute and think about what untainted emotions would look like. As Ortlin puts it, it's an inner life of perfect balance, proportion, and control. Now, I don't know about you, but this does not describe me and my emotional life. I have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old at home. And if you catch me at bedtime, I can assure you that my emotions are not in perfect proportion or control, (laughs) depending on how the night's going. It's difficult for our sin-entrenched hearts to comprehend this, to imagine pure, sinless emotions, but think about how beautiful joy would be without slivers of discontentment how marvelous compassion would be when it's not tinged with selfishness, and how magnificent anger would be when it's not fueled by pride. How can we begin to grasp these things? What would that even look like? It would look like Christ incarnate. Christ who experienced pure joy that he willingly endured by saving us through the cross. Christ who couldn't help but move towards sinners and the hurting because of his untempered compassion. Christ who raged in holy, righteous anger at death um, and the, at the tomb of Lazarus and who raised Lazarus to life to prove that death did not get the last word. If we wanna know what emotions look like without a touch of sin, all we have to do is read the gospels. It's all right there, spelled out on the page for us. And it's beautiful. How blessed are we that we have a savior who has such deep emotions. Without them, Christ would be cold and indifferent completely unfeeling, and that's not very appealing. Not only do these emotions draw us into Christ, they give us a savior who can intimately relate to us. He was made like us in every aspect of our humanity with the one exception of sin. And that means that Christ experienced the same raging and intense emotions that we do. He felt the deep sorrow, the intense anger, the debilitating grief. 
He knows perfectly what we are going through when this world throws all of its awful and difficult circumstances at us. I love how Ortland wrapped up chapter 11. He reminds us that when life is unfair and unkind and all of the emotions boil up within us, we can take those to Christ. Christ understands those feelings. He feels those feelings for us and he, we can trust him to feel them on our behalf because unlike us, he feels them per- perfectly and purely with no hint of sin. What a friend, right? We wrapped up this section looking at exactly how Jesus is our friend. And we had you think about this concept in your homework because for some of us, it may be something that's new or it might seem like we're dishonoring the Lord by taking what might seem like a casual view of him. If you grew up in the church and were immersed in Christianity your whole life, there's a wide range of how you could view Christ and how you might've been taught about who Jesus was. Some churches focus heavily on Jesus as king, as the one who will come from the clouds pronouncing judgment and wrath at the end times. And as Orlin mentions in the book, this is an accurate representation of part of Christ's character. And we need to hold proper reverence for that. But I would argue as Ortland does that we would be wrong to ignore the fact that while Jesus was here on earth, he was a friend to sinners. And like he said in the video, he's the same, Christ is the same today as he was then. Jesus is the best and most perfect friend that any of us will ever have. In chapter 12, Orland describes in detail what kind of friend Jesus is, and I made a list summarizing those details. I'm gonna show them to you up on the slide, and I tried my hardest to fit them all on one slide, um, but there was just too many, so I had to do it in two. So I'll get to the second one in a second. So I know we can all read, um, but sometimes truth sinks in a little bit more when it's spoken by someone else instead of in our own inner dialogue. So be patient with me as I read these truths over you tonight, and I pray that they would sink into your heart. If you wanna close your eyes and quiet yourself and just let these things sink into you. So ladies, if you are in Christ, he is a friend to you. A friend who enjoys spending time with you, who makes you feel welcome and at ease with him, who never refuses your presence or raises his eyebrows at you. A friend who has no limit on what he puts up with, who comes in to fellowship with you and relishes your company. A friend who pursues you and then opens himself up to you and makes known his deepest purpose to you. A friend who goes with you on the journey and is steady and constant. A friend who delights in you, who honors and respects you. Christ is a friend who relates to you in all of your humanity. A friend who comes into the pain of your loneliness and never fails you or betrays you and is never ashamed of you. I don't know about you, but with how hard life is, I sure need a friend like that. And we are granted that friendship when we come to the Lord. He's ready and willing to be all of these things to us. And as you read in Revelation, Jesus is knocking, waiting for us to let him in so he can be the friend we so desperately need to walk with us through the troubles of life. Now, as I've been since the beginning of the semester, I'm gonna leave you with a challenge. Something for you to do that will help you grow in your fellowship with the Lord. Ortland wraps up chapter 12 by talking about mutuality. And we had you meditate on this concept in your homework because it's a crucial piece to all of this. No friendship is one-sided. If you show me a friendship where only one party is pouring into the relationship, I guarantee that it's not really a friendship at all. Any healthy relationship requires work and intentionality on both parties involved. And it is no different with our friendship with Christ. Christ is ready and willing to share his heart with us to be in companionship and fellowship with us. 
As a woman binds herself to her husband through marriage, Christ has bound himself to us through, co- through his covenant. But as impossible as it is to have a strong marriage if a wife ignores or is indifferent to her husband, so we will not have a strong relationship with Christ if we or ignore him or are indifferent to him. If we wanna feel close to our husband, we spend time with him, converse with him. It is the same with Christ. If we wanna feel close to him, we have a responsibility to open ourselves up to him. Our salvation is sure. We can never repay Jesus for all he has done for us, but if we wanna share in the many benefits of his friendship, we also have to give him the benefit of ours as well. We need to give him our joy, our honor and respect, our secrets, and we need to give him our time and delight in his presence. We need to talk to him, but we also need to be quiet and let him speak in whatever way he decides to do that with us. We cannot endlessly take from Christ without giving him these parts of ourselves. So go into this week, spend intimate time with Christ. Share your wins and your losses with him. Relish in his company as he relishes in yours. There'll be discussion questions up on the screen for you and your table. Thank you ladies.